That's the goal, to shake off the past and embrace 100% what God has in store for you in 2016. Last Sunday in, in a part one, we talked about becoming the person you were meant to be, the real you that God destined from the very beginning of time. And uh, today, we're going to call it catching fire. We're going to be talking about dreams. We're going to be talking about those God-given dreams, those God-given desires of your heart. And what happens when those dreams have failed or they've kind of gone to sleep, those dreams have died, they've faded, that fire you once felt has gone out. What happens then? Um, Here's what I believe, and I believe this with my whole heart. I wouldn't be up here wasting all of our time talking to you. I believe that however your life may have gotten off track, I believe today is a brand new day. And I believe what God can do tomorrow is, is not held captive by what happened last year. I believe he can do anything. And today is a brand new day. And God, I know this for a fact, he's in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, God, we praise you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for us. Just speak to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, God, that this isn't up to the words I'm saying, but you're going to speak directly to their hearts because we are all desperate for you, Lord God. We're desperate for a word from you, Lord. I don't want to live without a word from you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe you're in the right place this morning. I think God wants to take some of those dormant, dead, dried up, tired, old, withered dreams that at one time were in your heart. I think he wants to take those things and fan the flames back alive. Last week, I gave you kind of this scripture. This, what God wants to do, I think, is summed up perfectly in this scripture. It's basically kind of our, our mission statement for this series. And this is it, Ephesians 5, 14. He says, therefore, he says, awake. Everybody say awake. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That sounds like a promise to me. Does that sound like a promise to you? It does. Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Rise from the dead. Hallelujah. Today is your wake-up call. Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, the other day, let's see, Friday morning. I don't know if you were out early. Uh, I was up extra early Friday morning. I have to admit, I'm not an early riser. I like to, you know, get up after the sun. I like the sun to get up first. And, and then, you know, I, I, I like to start my day. But uh, Friday was one of those unusual days. So I got up really early. It was before the sun. And I was driving in the car. And if you remember, if any of you were out, Friday was extra foggy, right? It was just kind of beautiful, you know. It's, so I'm driving along. And it's, you know, for me, it's really early. It's still dark outside. And the fog is on the road. So I'm kind of half asleep. Just pulled out of my little neighborhood. And I see some motion up ahead in the fog. So I slow down, you know, I'm not an idiot. And I slow down, and, and this beautiful little family of deer come trotting out in the road. And I'm like, deer, you know, in the middle of the woodlands. You're like, where do these guys live during the day? Are they like hanging out behind the Kroger or what? You know, <laughs> but deer, this whole little family, they're just coming across the road. And so I'm just looking at them, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm still like half awake. And so the deer, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm taking a moment. I'm just stand, sitting in the middle of the road now with the car running, watching these little deer here. 30, 45 seconds later, I start to go again. And something caught my eye out the corner of my eye. I look back and, a, and the straggler deer comes jumping out into the road right then, right as I'm fixing to move forward. He jumps out in the road to follow his friends. I don't know why they were trying to leave him behind or why he was so slow. You know, the stupid deer, that's the one that usually gets hit, right? Whenever you hear of people hitting deer, that's the one. 
So I slam on my brakes just in time. I mean, missed him by inches. And let me tell you, at that moment, I was awake. (laughs) Adrenaline's pumping. It might as well be noon, man. I was like, okay, I'm awake now. Some people, it takes a shocking event to wake us out of our stupor. Some sort of either a trauma or something that's going on or maybe just a scare or something like that. Others of you, it takes time. It's more of a slow process. For others of you, you finally just have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. How many of you here today have been sick and tired, and you feel sick and tired all the time, and, and you're starting to get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Anybody? That, some of us are ready to wake up because we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Some of you today, you're not really old, but you have let life beat you down so that you feel old. This goes for every generation. Or maybe you have let the calendar tell you you're old. Or you've let society, because we got this like youth-worshipping society we live in, right? You've let society and the calendar and your sore back tell you you're old. And your best days are behind you. I'm telling you, it is a lie. Okay? It's a lie. Because here are generations, I'm telling you what, we know that every single person from every generation has a holy calling from God. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young, we need you in the game. However old you are, we need you in the game. The kingdom of God, I found out, has no retirement plan. Did you know that? There is no retirement plan. But there are some of you who have taken early retirement from the kingdom of God. Some of you have been MIA, missing in action, long enough, and today is your wake-up call, okay? I'm not here. I'm not trying to recruit you to join a volunteer team or something like that, but I am telling you, some of you need a wake-up call to get back in the game, to get back into the work of the kingdom, because that's what happens Monday through Friday, as well as what's happening here on Sunday. The work of the kingdom is 24-7 at home, at work, wherever we are. See, see, in the kingdom of God, there's only being in the game and there's being dead. Right? So if you're here today and you're breathing, you're in the game. You're supposed to be in the game. Okay? There's being in the game and there's being dead. Every single one of you has a part to play. As long as you have breath, you have been called to make disciples. Amen? You've been called to make disciples. That's what you're called to do. Be a disciple and make a disciple. It's real simple. That's what we're all called to do. You don't need a title to do that. Be a disciple, make disciples. That is what we're called. And what does that mean? It's real simple. It means, it means being like Jesus to other people and taking Jesus to other people. That is your holy calling every day. Whatever it is you do for a paycheck, that doesn't matter. Your holy calling is being like Jesus to other people and taking Jesus to other people. And you don't need a title to do that, right? You don't need a salary to do that. You just need Jesus. Amen. We never retire from that calling. We never retire. You're an image bearer of the Most High God. Every single one of you have asked God in your heart. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. You realize what an incredible honor that is. What an incredible calling that is. Amen? Amen. And that means that we represent Jesus to everybody we meet. Hallelujah. That's God's vision for your life. If if you're too busy 
to fulfill God's calling in your life, then you're doing something wrong, right? I don't believe God's blessings are ever meant, he never means any of his blessings to take you out of the game of the kingdom. If they've taken you out of action, if you're missing an action because of God's blessings, something's wrong, right? You've done something, something's got off track. So today's your day. Good news, today is your day. And you think, oh, if I do something, for, if I, if I got to add the kingdom of God to my list, I'm going to be extra tired. No, 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 You were never going to feel more alive. You were never going to have more energy and more joy than when you know you are fulfilling your purpose. And we're going to talk about that today. Hallelujah. I'm, this is just the introduction. Um, here's what the writer in Proverbs says. He puts it so well in Proverbs 29, 18. He says, where there is no vision, because God's vision is that you are a disciple when you make disciples. Where there is no vision, or some of your translations might say revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So I want to talk to you, whether you're 9 years old or 90 years old. See, see, keeping a fresh vision in your heart is not foolishness. Some of you have bought this lie, like, I'm too old for that. That, just, that would just be acting foolish to act all like I've got vision in my heart. It's not foolish. According to this, it's actually listening to wisdom, right? I love the way the Message Bible puts it. The message is fun. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So it's real simple. Understanding God's dream for you equals a happier life. When you understand God's dream for you, it equals a happier life. People who understand God's vision, when they see the vision, they're blessed. They're the most blessed. They're the happiest people. When we lose sight of God's vision for us, which can happen in a whole number of ways, and we'll talk about that, but when we lose sight of God's vision, we stumble all over ourselves, right? We might still be biologically alive, but we're sleepwalking through life. We're stumbling all over ourselves, and God wants to wake us up. And I'm talking to every generation here today. I'm talking to millennials. I'm talking to Gen Xers, baby boomers, greatest generation, all of you. If you were born in the Civil War, I'm talking to you today, right? Congratulations on keeping in the game. I want to I help relight your fire today. I want to help rekindle your vision. I'm not, I'm not just here to give a, a pep talk you know, or some kind of self-help speech. I'm not here. I want to relight your fire. I want to wake up those dreams of yours that have slept for too long. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, last week, uh, I had a lot of fun. I got to, to uh, talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, which was The Bourne Identity. That's on one of my top, you know, action movie lists. Uh, I've got them all color-coded in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. But <laughs> The Bourne Identity, that was great. And that was so much fun. This week, I want to highlight another one of my favorites. This is, again, from years ago. It's kind of one of those modern classics. This would be, this would go in my sports favorites slash feel-good movies, and that is called, it's a movie called The Rookie. Anybody ever seen The Rookie? It's a great little movie. The movie it's a baseball movie uh, starring Dennis Quaid. I wish I had uh, a clip to show you of it. Um, my, my assistant wasn't able to put together a clip. By my assistant, I mean me. <laughs> um, by the way, if you need a job... Uh, give me your resume, because I, I need an assistant. Hallelujah. Um, so, so The Rookie, it's this movie. Uh, it's the true story. I'll just give you a quick synopsis. True story of a high school uh, teacher from Big Lake, Texas. 
The smallest towns are named things like Big Lake, right? <laughs> Big Lake, Texas, and this man named Jimmy Morris. He started life with dreams of playing professional baseball. In little, little league he played, high school he played, college he played, and he, he actually made it all the way to like single A minor league baseball when he, 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 his dream came to this sudden crushing end because of injury. And so he moved back to his little town in Big Lake, Texas. He became a high school coach. And then years later, as the story goes, just spoiler alert, he, he rediscovers his dream of playing in the major leagues. On September 18th, 1999, after being out of the game for over a decade, Jimmy Morris made his major league debut pitching for the Tampa Bay Rays. So it was this really amazing moment in the movie. You've got to go see it. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know it's super inspiring because he's a coach. So he's got all of these, uh, he's a high school coach, so he's got all of these students who are rooting for him. They're rooting for him. They're trying to get him to go do this. And he inspires, he is able to inspire these kids that it's never, ever too late to go after your dreams. Never give up on your dreams. Even after it feels like time has passed you by and you're too old or something like that. At the beginning of the movie, Coach Jimmy Morris, he's given his players a, a pep talk. And he tells them this quote. He says, kids, if you don't have dreams, you don't have anything. If you don't have dreams, you don't have anything. I think that's a pretty good paraphrase of Proverbs 29, 18, right? Without dreams, we perish. The King James says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Perish. Now, you know what perish means, right? It means like to die, to rot, to fall apart, right? If you don't have vision, there's nothing to stop the process of decay, right? You might be walking, but you're, you're dead, you know? They should make a, a show like, about that, walking and dead. If without vision, we rot, we fall apart. But see, the other side of the coin is true as well. Vision is like this preservative, Having a vision is like a preservative. Having a dream that's fresh in our heart actually keeps you young. Whether you're 35, like Jimmy Morris, or 85, like another character I want to talk about this morning is from the Bible. Um, Turn over to Joshua 14. Now, Cheryl Padgington has just started this past Wednesday an incredible series in Joshua. And she is going to tell you all about this wonderful book and the amazing lesson. So I'm not going to step on that too much. I just want to highlight one character in that story that really inspires me. And that character is Caleb. Caleb. Caleb is, is one of the 12 spies of Israel, who at the age of 40, he explored the promised land. They got to the promised land. He and the other 11 spies went out there to scout it out. And he's one of only two spies who came back with a positive report. He was excited about the possibilities. He went and saw it, came back. He had a vision. He had fire in his belly. But see, the Israelites didn't listen to Caleb's advice, did they? And as a result, they wandered aimlessly for over 40 years in the wilderness. In Joshua 14.10, we'll take it from here. Caleb, he's now an octogenarian, okay? He says, here I am today, 85 years old. I don't know why, my old person accent, I get real cut and shoot. <laughs> I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. You can hear 45 years of pent-up, like, 
fire in his voice here, right? And look what he says here. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. The Anakites are there, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 85-year-old Caleb. He doesn't want anybody giving him some settled piece of property. He's not ready to like raise a garden by the sea, sit and retire by the ocean. No, no, no. He wants the hills. This is the land of giants. He says, give me that. I love this guy, right? Now, let me ask you a question here today. Do you know very many people who are as strong and as vigorous at 85 as they were at 40? (laughs) How can Caleb be strong and vigorous after walking the wilderness, wandering the wilderness for 45 years? I think the answer is really, really simple. The vision of possessing that promised land never died. See, he saw with his own eyes, so vision was literal for him. He got a vision, and that never died in his heart. For 45 years, he walked around. That vision kept him young. It kept him fresh. It was a preservative. That vision didn't even allow him to get old. See, the problem with the Israelites 40 years earlier, they started acting old before they even were old, right? The first time they get to the promised land, they're like the young generation, they're the, they're the new generation, just got out of Egypt, man. They're all, yeah, let's go, gung-ho. They get up to that border, and they look at the promised land for the first time, and they go, yeah, no. No, we're skeptical of that. That's, that's, I don't know about that. that. I don't see how that can really work. This seems like a pipe dream. Yeah. So you know what God did? He let them wander around for 45 years until they really were old. He said, I'm going to let your bodies catch up with your brain. You think you're old? Well, guess what? Except for Caleb. Except for Caleb. Oh, yeah, when they got there, the calendar said he was 85, right? But there's a fire in Caleb's heart that said, we're just getting started here. Somebody hand me a sword, right? 85 years old, fire in his belly. That is what having vision will do for you. Amen? Martin Luther King said, if you've got nothing worth dying for, you've got nothing worth living for. If you have nothing worth dying for, you have nothing worth living for. You'll never feel more alive than when you discover something worth dying for. That's what being a follower of Christ is all about. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Is that some of the people? Is that just the young people? No. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In other words, seeing vision and dreaming dreams, this is the supernatural spinoff of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Right? This is what happens. If you're here today and you're not living with this fresh vision, then something in life has put the cork back in the bottle of God's Spirit that He wants to pour out into your life. But something's got that cork in the bottle, right? Now, the primary reason I think a lot of us uh, keep that cork in the bottle is due to fear. It always comes back to fear, it seems like. That's what we keep it in there for. We're afraid of what might happen if we take a chance and we risk trusting in God. We're afraid of making a mistake. 
people finding out that maybe we're not as perfect or as holy as we think everybody thinks we are. We're afraid of people finding out we're human. And so we play it safe. We play it timidly, right? Now, I'm going to bring up a sore subject here. Who saw the game yesterday? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Let's just get it out. Let's get it out. We got to work through this. It was ugly. The Texans, we made it to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you what, today I'm, I'm here to, I'm going to give you a little advice. This is off the record. You don't have, you don't, this will be free. You don't have to pay for this. Um, that was a joke. You don't have to pay for any of this. Um, if, if you want a winning football team in Houston, you need to go a couple miles south of downtown and start rooting for the Cougars, all right? Houston Cougars. Yeah. Right. Cougars did awesome this year. They're a great team. And we got another big game tomorrow night, right? Yes. Now, we're not Catholic, and we don't, so we don't really officially believe in this stuff, but Pastor will, if he says, if you will pray for Alabama tomorrow, he will put in a good word for you to God. <laughs> okay? So. <laughs> Off the record. Not actually sound doctrine. We know God doesn't really care about the championship game tomorrow, right? Right. Because the Longhorns are not playing. <laughs> so, anyway, when, when I'm watching a football game like that debacle yesterday, you know what? I, I, have, I don't really mind if my team goes out there and gives it their all. If they leave everything on the field, they're playing with passion, and they lose, hey, we could still hold our head up high, Right? I mean, we could say, yeah, they gave it their all. They threw the kitchen sink at them. We just came up short. But you know what's the most frustrating thing to see? And you sports fans, you understand this. Uh, The most frustrating thing is when you're watching your team and you see that they are so stressed out and afraid of losing and making a mistake that they play not to lose instead of playing to win, right? We saw that yesterday, if you saw the game, yeah. Playing not to lose. Playing not to make a mistake. What do you end up doing? Making a whole bunch of mistakes. Right. So, one of the fundamental mistakes I think a lot of Christians do, all of us are guilty of this, in our approach to life, so many Christians, we play not to lose. We play not to lose. We try to win by not losing. Right? We try to be good by not doing anything too bad. And we pat ourselves on the back at the end of the day. I didn't do anything too bad today, right? We're playing not to lose. I, I, I love what the great writer Dallas Willard, he put it so well. He, he compared it to traveling. He said, when I go to New York City, I don't have to think about not going to Atlanta or, L- or London or Atlanta. No one meets me at the airport and exclaims over what a great thing I did not going somewhere else. And then he says this, on the other hand, Not going to London or Atlanta is a poor plan for going to New York, right? Nobody says, so you're going to New York. How are you going to get there? Well, I'm not going to go to London. I'm not going to go to Atlanta. So I I think I'll be all right. (laughs) That'd be a poor plan for getting to New York. Not sinning is not the same thing as doing God's will. 
Okay? That, that's playing not to lose. Not being hateful to people today is kind, kind of a lame substitute for treating people with love. Right? We can get so afraid of failure that we never truly live. And we let the fire go out on our dreams when we do that. I'm preaching to myself here today too, okay? I'm not, I'm not the guy from up on high on the mountain telling you. We, we let the fire go out in our dreams. I believe the greatest tragedy of our lives isn't going to be the mistakes that we made. It's going to be the life that we failed to live. That's what we're going to look, look back and feel like is the greatest tragedy. The life we failed to live. I love the way John Maxwell, he's so smart, he said it this way. He said, potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to God. Right? Hallelujah. God has loaded you up with potential. Every single one of you. And what you do with it, that is your act of worship. It's, it's an act of worship, taking that and living out that potential. See, see, God didn't save you so you could go play it safe. He wants to help you rediscover something worth dying for. Now, Let's, let's try to get a little, a little more practical here. If, if you're, if you're going to rediscover your dream, there are some obstacles you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome some, uh, you have to overcome. The biggest dream squasher you're going to face is not uh, other people. That's usually the first thing we blame. I didn't accomplish my dream or I can't accomplish my dream because of so-and-so or all these people or what the, the man's trying to keep me down, Right? Your biggest dream squasher is not other people. Your biggest dream squasher is not uh, a lack of talent or abilities or something. Well, other people are just more, they're better, they're just more natural, and I can't, so. No, no, no. Your biggest dream squasher is not financial. Well, I could if I just had a whole bunch of money, I could. I could. No. That is not your biggest. Your biggest dream squasher, I'm going to tell you right here today, is inertia. Inertia. All right? There's a law of inertia. And it's really simple. It's the tendency of an object to resist a change in its motion. Inertia. Inertia, if I'm just standing here just like this, inertia makes me kind of want to tend to stay here. I have to use a lot of effort to now I got to start, you know, moving. By the same token, inertia, if I start walking down the stairs, inertia keeps me wanting to walk down the stairs. It's, it's hard to stop, right? So inertia is that thing that makes it hard to push your car in the road, and it makes it hard to stop the car once it starts rolling. It works both ways. That is the law of inertia. The main reason, the number one reason most dreams never get past the daydream stage is because we never do anything about them. We think they're just going to happen. We never do anything about them. It's a lot easier. See, what comes naturally is, is to keep on doing what you're doing rather than change direction and pursue a fresh vision. That, that takes effort to change what you're doing, to do something different, pursue a fresh vision. In, in the movie The Rookie, Coach uh, Jimmy Morris, he makes a promise to his players. They're all sitting around here. They just lost this big game. He makes a promise. He says he will go out and try out for the Major League Baseball team if their high school team won the district championship. It was something their team had never, ever done. And they weren't that good. But it kind of gave some incentive to these kids. Those kids gave it their all, and they won. They won the title, and Morris, he kept his end of the bargain by attending a tryout for the Tampa Bay. Now, he never would have pursued his vision if his players hadn't pushed him. 
He later said this. He said, no one at my age who'd been out of baseball for 10 years had ever played in the majors. It was impossible. The risk was too great. The chances too small. That's the synopsis for so many of our lives. Yeah, the risk is too great. The chance is too small. It's those risks that often make our fears win out. So we observe life rather than living life. We, we live vicariously through other people. We live vicariously through television or movies, right? But, um, but you're not living life. It feels like you're living life, but you're not living life, right? Watching Downton Abbey is not experiencing romance. <laughs> you're watching romance, right? When I watch The Born Identity, I am not getting exercise. <laughs> I wish it were true, but it's not, right? We live vicariously through other people or television or whatever it is. We live on the sidelines, and we think we've been in the game. We've just been on the sidelines. But see, it's all sleepwalking. It's sleepwalking. The law of inertia is that thing in your life that keeps things status quo, unchanged, unfulfilled. Inertia doesn't take any effort. Dreams, they're not going to come to pass by accident. And, and they don't happen even because you wish it a whole lot. Wishing is an action, is it? The law of inertia guarantees, it guarantees things will stay the same until you intentionally change course. The law of inertia. Hear this. This isn't rocket science, but it, it, it'll kind of change your life. The law of inertia guarantees Things will stay the same until you change course. All right? Hallelujah. Okay. There's two things in life that everybody has to uh, work through. There's two things we face, and everybody reacts differently to them, and those two things are change and risk. Change and risk. Okay? Some people have a really high tolerance uh, for change. They love change. Woo! Something's changing. Some people hate it with every fiber of their being. Right? And you, you know who you are or where you are on that scale. Um, some, people, uh, some people are okay with certain, a th- certain threshold of risk, right? If, if, you, uh, if, if you invest your money, how you invest depends on your threshold for risk, right? Are you willing to put a whole lot of money at risk or a little bit of money? There's, there's this well-known correlation, it turns out, between people who are exceptionally successful in life and folks who tend to be more comfortable with risk than the rest of us. There's a correlation between those people who are exceptionally successful. They tend to be more comfortable with risk. Um, You look at the heroes of the Bible. Think about these guys. Abraham left behind everything he knew to go to a whole new land he had never been to because God led him there. Paul, we looked at him last year. He braved shipwrecks and prison and beatings to preach the gospel. Caleb said, give me that hill country. It's full of giants. That's the one I want, right? I'll drive them out. And what's common here isn't that these people lived reckless lives. They weren't just running around recklessly. They stepped out and lived with this certain amount of risk because they trusted in God. They weren't trusting in themselves. They trusted in God. That's very important. Faith enables you to dream dangerously and live supernaturally. You have to be trusting in God, though. Otherwise, you're just living foolishly right? But faith in God enables us to dream dangerously, live supernaturally. There are characters in the Bible, they, they had low tolerance for risk. 
I can think of one, the servant, who buried his talent because he was afraid of the master. What did, what did the Bible say about that? God called that guy wicked and lazy, and he cast him into utter darkness. That, that's pretty bad. It's easy to see why without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to have faith. And so every one of us, we have these kind of two pieces of our personality puzzle. Our tolerance or a threshold for risk and uh, tolerance for change. Some people have a high threshold. Some people have a low threshold. Here's something interesting I found out. I'll show this to you. Uh, sociologists have done these studies, and they came up with what's called adopter categories, if you ever th- heard of that. The general population apparently falls into these, one of these five categories. 2% calls them innovators. 13% are early adopters. 34%, a little over a third of us, are early majority then another 34% are late majority, 16% are laggards. So what this means is, uh, let's say it's the spring of 2007, and the company Apple has just come out, announced this crazy new thing called an iPhone. Crazy new thing. 2007, 2% of you, you innovators, you went out that same day, you hadn't even hit the store, you went out the same day and pre-ordered it. You pre-ordered it. It's going to come to your house before anybody else. You're innovators. 13% of you, you went out that week. The week it hit the stores. You went out and you stood in line. You bought some of the first ones, right? You're early adopters. A third of you, early majority, uh, you waited about a year or two, you know, to make sure it was obvious that everybody liked them and they worked and everybody loves theirs. And then you bought one, right? You wanted to, you wanted to be one of the people who had this iPhone, um, uh, another 34% of you uh, waited a while. Uh, let's see, 16% of you hung on to your, your flip phones and your Blackberries <laughs> until your friends made fun of you and threw them in the garbage when you weren't looking. So, so that's kind of how, how this all works out. If you do the math, there's like a remaining 1%, and that's those of you still holding out because nobody is ever going to tell you what to do, and you still think VCRs are a pretty good idea. <laughs> uh, now, where you fall on this, this curve says a lot about you. Where you fall on this curve, there's about half of us that are we're living on our tiptoes. We're leaning forward, chin out. What's coming next? We're looking around the corner. What's going to happen? We're ready to move forward. We naturally embrace a little more risk, a little more change. The other half of us, we tend to dig in our heels a little, right? We naturally resist risk and change. Now, now understand this. It doesn't make you a better or a worse person. It's simply our personalities. It doesn't make you a better or worse person. It means that for some of you, the, fa- the fight of faith is going to come easier. And for some of you, the fight of faith is a fight. Okay? It's a, it's a fight just to have faith. And that's okay. Because whether you're an innovator or a laggard or somewhere in between, we are all called to trust God. Basically, we're all called to trust God. It, it, he didn't make different rules for the different people. We're all called to trust Him. So we have to overcome that law of inertia, which is that natural tendency to resist a change in motion. Let me encourage you in something in this. We aren't called to play it safe. Hallelujah. And Erwin uh, McManus, he said it really well. He said, to live outside God's will puts us in danger, but to live in his will makes us dangerous. That, that's a Caleb statement there. 
When we seize our divine moments, we don't live risk-free, but instead we become free to risk. Because that's the person who gets to live by faith. We are free to risk, right? Hallelujah. Okay, now there's another kind of dream squasher that we all face, and that is our fear of looking foolish. The fear of looking foolish. Now, in the, in the movie The Rookie, Jimmy Morris, he, he knew that the tryouts for these major league teams, they were very specific. They put out this notice that they were, they were specifically looking for prospects between the ages of 18 and 24. That's what they were looking for. So he told his players, he, sold, he told his kids, he said, it's going to take a lot more than you just winning a couple of games to make me go out there and make a fool of myself. They were going to have to win the championship. But see, Jimmy... He was, Jimmy Morris was willing to look foolish to keep his promise to those boys. He was willing to look foolish. That is faith. Faith is the willingness to look foolish in the eyes of men so that we can be faithful in the eyes of God. Are we willing to look foolish in the eyes of men so we can be faithful in the eyes of God? Noah, he looked pretty foolish building an ark in the middle of a dry wilderness, right? Sarah looked pretty foolish buying maternity clothes at the age of 90. I'm just guessing. The Israelites looked pretty foolish marching around Jericho, blowing their trumpets over and over, right? David looked foolish stepping out in front of Goliath with a little slingshot. Peter looked foolish stepping out of a boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, right? Even Jesus himself probably looked foolish to some hanging half naked on a cross, He probably looked a little foolish to someone walking by. But that is faith, the willingness to look foolish. See, and the results speak for themselves. What happened? Noah was saved from a flood. Amen? The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Sarah had a baby, right? David defeated Goliath. Peter walked on water, and Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Being willing to look foolish. I gotta hurry. First Corinthians one twenty seven says, "God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise." I think the reason so many of us don't realize our dreams, we're not willing to look foolish. Yeah, that's just pride. Now, let me unpack one more dream squasher today. Today, I have found that my spiritual life goes through seasons. Does yours go through seasons? Sometimes you're on top of the mountain, sometimes you're in the valley, right? We're all over the place. Uh, Spiritual life goes through seasons where God is trying to do different things in my life. And I know that for some of you, in your personal lives, the season that you're coming out of right now is one of uncertainty. Some of you are coming out of a season of uncertainty. I can relate to that. I really can. In fact, in a lot of ways, that's kind of, it's kind of, picture of our church right now. We feel we're in this a similar season. It's exciting, but the future feels a little unknown, right? It's a little uncertain. Uncertainty is unsettling, right? We like certainty. We like 100% guarantees. And the fear of uncertainty can be a major dream squasher. The truth is there is always going to be an element of uncertainty. Always. It doesn't matter what decision you're making, what situation you're facing, life rarely hands you uh, absolute certainty. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley said about this. Um, Oh, let's see. No, I don't have a slide for this. He says this, in leadership, you rarely find yourselves more than about 80% certain. 
I love what he says here. Waiting for absolute certainty will usually cause you to miss an opportunity. Waiting for absolute certainty will cause you to miss an opportunity. So let me encourage you in this right here. Uncertainty is the breeding ground for faith. Uncertainty is the breeding ground. That's where faith lives. Faith is like, all right, uncertainty. That's what we need. If things were certain, you wouldn't need faith, would you? I don't really need much faith that this thing is here, right? But I need faith about what's going to happen tomorrow, about what's going to happen the next day, what's going to happen in 2016. I need faith for that. Faith is trusting God despite the uncertainty. Having uncertainty in your life, being unsure about something, it's not a sign that you don't have faith. That's where faith lives. That is where faith breeds in uncertainty, right? That's where it comes alive. Faith gives substance to hope. It's seeing what is unseen. That's what Scripture says, right? You can't see hope, but faith gives it substance. Now, we all like certainty. There's no, here's the thing. There's no such thing as risk-free or fail-proof when it comes to faith. There's just no such thing. There's no such thing as dreams without uncertainty. And that uncertainty, that soil of uncertainty is where faith explodes. In Ecclesiastes, he says this, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What this scripture simply means is if you're waiting for the perfect conditions, you'll never do anything. While we're waiting for God to make everything airtight and risk-free, he's actually wanting to move in the impossible situations. You know why? Because he wants you to know without a doubt that it was him who did it by his power and not by your power. He's ready to move in the impossible situation. Don't sit around and wait for the airtight situation, the risk-free situation. Let me offer a little word of practical application here real fast. One of the best ways that you can rediscover God's dream for your life and fan those flames is, through, is to have a consistent, healthy prayer life. That's absolutely essential. And a consistent Bible study habit. I've, I've, I'll just go ahead and let you know, I've tried uh, living Christian life without either one of these. It's, it's, it's really hard, right? You're doing it the hard way. It is hard. So uh, God's word is life, and reading his word will rekindle your fire. A few years ago, I got uh, into a sort of a Bible reading rut. You ever get one of those? And I found it was a really simple little thing. It wasn't like all that huge spiritual uh, solution. I had read one translation so many times, I would start to skip verses because I knew what they were going to say. This is the word of God, right? Him speaking, the living words, right? And I would skip these verses. I know what they're going to say. Scripture became so predictable that I, I decided to pick up a different translation one day. And doing just that little thing, do you know that that reintroduced me to Scripture? You ever read a Scripture in a fresh, thing, in a fresh way or somebody puts a, a fresh translation on the screen? You're like, well, I haven't heard, seen it in that way. Well, that puts a whole new spin on things, right? It, it, it reignited my desire to read the Word. And so now when I study the Bible, I always read it in several translations. I just always do that. You get a wonderful picture of what the, the writers are saying, what the Holy Spirit was saying. Sometimes we get so familiar with the, the revolutionary nature of these sacred scriptures. We need a fresh take on things. We need something to tell us the same thing in a different way, to give us a new, new perspective. Amen. Now, so that's just a, a little word of uh, advice there. It's a fantastic way to kind of catch what God's living word has to say to us. Hallelujah. Let me finish today 
by offering one more perspective on this. In all of your dreaming, we talked a little bit about this at our men's fire yesterday morning. It was so good. In all of your dreaming, your goal setting, your vision casting, stepping out in faith, remember this. This is very important. God's vision for your life is what matters. God's vision for your life is what matters, okay? His goals are not like our goals. His ways are not like our ways. See, we can get a dream in our head. We can get so focused on accomplishing that dream in, in the way we think it's meant to happen. And we can forget that Jesus is Lord. His destination for us may be different than the one we're imagining, okay? We all want to know what God's will is for our life, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to achieve, where does he want us to go? But I always remind myself, and, and I remind other people when they're asking, what, what, what is God's will? What does he want me to do? We have to remember, don't get too destination obsessed. That's the only way I know to put it. Don't get too destination obsessed, because the truth is, I believe God is a lot more interested in the journey that you're on, the journey that's going on inside you, than the external career path you're on. He is a lot more interested in the journey that's going on inside you. And so we can get, we can get obsessed with arriving at some tangible place, you know, some attaining that position in our careers or accomplishing that goal or having a relationship with that perfect person or whatever it is, becoming successful. And the truth is God is a lot more concerned with the process. And, and the joy truly is in the journey. What God desires most is that you have a growing relationship with him. He doesn't want to bless you with anything that's going to take you away from a growing relationship with him. Everything else you might achieve is secondary. That is what God desires most, that you have a growing relationship with him. What he desires most, we, that's what we say around here, to get to know him better so that we can trust him more. His desire, he desires most that we get to know him better so we'll trust him more. In the end, God's purpose for giving you that dream it may not be unimaginable riches. It may be that he craves the relationship that he knows you'll seek with him in the journey. That may be the reason he gave you the dream, because of the relationship you and he will develop along the way. The, the story of the rookie, the movie, has a happy ending. It's, and it's not because Jimmy Morris went on to become the greatest pitcher who ever lived. He didn't. In fact, he only played in a few games. He struck out a few people. But it's a great story because of what his journey to the major leagues taught him. You see, it wasn't winning the World Series. He didn't get to do that. It was what the journey taught him. It's a great story because that journey that he went on became an inspiration to other people. It turns out that all those struggles that he faced in his 20s, they weren't getting in the way of his story. They were the essential part of his story. That's important for us to realize. Those struggles aren't getting in the way of your story. God turns those things into an essential part of your story. He turns all things for good. So friends, never underestimate what God still has in store for you. Never underestimate what he is up to right now. If you're here today and your fire has gone out, I'm telling you, God is able to light a fresh fire inside you. 
He is able to pour out his Holy Spirit inside you in a fresh wave. You may have thought impossible to ever experience again. He is able to do that. And when you put your trust in God, it is never too late to become what you might have been. It's never too late. Jesus found you worth dying for. That gives us something to live for. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise this morning. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord God. You found us you found us worth dying for. Help us to live for you, Lord God. We praise you and honor you, Lord God. Father, give us fresh fire in our hearts. Those who the fire has gone out, I thank you, Lord God. You are fanning those flames this morning, even as we sit here, as we walk out the doors, Lord God. I thank you that you have something amazing in store for each and every one of us. Give us the ears to hear and, and the courage to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.